As many of you are aware, our sister church in Sutherland, Texas is gathering for the first time after the tragedy they experienced last week when 26 individuals from the church were killed. And so we want to pause for a moment and to partner with them in prayer. But we don't want to limit it just to them because in recent weeks, as it seems like it's almost a weekly basis now, there's been tragedy that's taken place in our country because folks were bent on violence, like the event that happened in New York City with somebody driving a pickup truck right down through the bike path that's in the city, and a number of people died. So we want to pause for just a moment and pray. Would you, would you just join me? God, hear our cry today, not based upon who we are, but based upon who Christ is, and based upon where Jesus is right now at your right hand interceding for us. God, we know in these moments that your heart breaks more than ours for what's taking place in our world, for the violence and the sin that lies in behind it, the brokenness, the despair. So God, we would pray today as a church that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I invite you to pray just, mo- just for a moment from your own heart, silently, for the 26 people who passed away. Obviously, their eternal fate has already been determined, but there's many lives that have been affected by their loss, and I invite you to pray for those who are impacted by the loss of these 26 lives. I invite you to pray for the church leaders and the community leaders. You know, I read that the church leaders are considering that it's just maybe more appropriate to to close the church and the whole struggle of darkness winning out over light and just really pray for wisdom for the church leaders and for the community leaders as they try to serve the people in Sutherland, Texas as the city leaders in New York seek to create safety and, and, and just to do all that they can to keep people safe, what our leaders are doing across our nation to keep us safe. Just, just pray. Father, we know that life is precious. It's precious to you. It's the only reason why you would have died on the cross, so that we could have eternal life, because life is precious. Father, help us to embrace our own lives as precious, to use every day to glorify you and to intercede for others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of you are aware, we've been in a series for a number of weeks now on relationships. We know that relationships are a great source of blessing in our lives, and for some of us, our relationships are some of the greatest challenges in our lives. And today, we're going to be talking about family relationships. Now, when I I first thought about what we would be 
focusing on today, what kind of what was originally on my heart, it was the idea of, let's talk about this particular roles in families, like parenting and et cetera, but, but I'm much more inclined today as God has kind of worked on my heart and we thought about the context to, to broaden up and then talk about family in a more general sense. You know, our family relationship, it's interesting that in the Bible, the Bible, do, the Bible doesn't restrict family or house, household just to biological relationships. Those who were servants in the home or happened to be visiting the home were considered to be a part of the family. And all of us have a relationship network. Some of us have huge relationship networks. Some of us have very small relationship networks by, by design. But we all have that core group of people around us that we consider to be family, right? Whether it's biologically or otherwise. And, and so today I want to talk about that. And, and I'm, I have one of those moments where it's a kind of an interesting process for us because I'm going to have one point. But then I'm going to have four points to go with one point. So it's really a one-point sermon, but I'm going to cheat and add four more points to it. So I, I would love for you, if you will, um, to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, our text today is on page 406. If you're using your own Bible, which is always a great thing, you'll find the book of Nehemiah just before the book of Psalms. If you get the Psalms and kind of work your way back towards the front, you'll go through Job, that looks like Job, and then you'll, you'll come to Esther, and then you'll come to Nehemiah, and there's three little books there together entitled Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, and they all relate to the same period of time. But this is a period of time in the life of the people of God where God was beginning to restore the people to the land after they had been sent into exile in Babylon. You know, the people had, if you will, had, had so violated God's covenant, so abandoned him, so presumed upon him that God said, that's it, we're going we're gonna to start over again. And, and so the Babylonians came in and took them all away in, in judgment. And what happened was that not only did the Babylonians, but then the surrounding nations around them literally leveled the city of Jerusalem. They, they wanted the city of Jerusalem never to be a force to reckon with in the region ever again. So not only they, they tore down every stone off of the wall, they just destroyed everything. When God was ready to bring the people back into the land, as they came into it, the, the only way that they could create any security, any hope for a future, the only way they could build up any strength was to rebuild the walls. But as they did so, they faced tremendous opposition from the regions that were around them. They they didn't want any more competition. We want to be in charge, and we want you to have no way of defending yourself. So as the people began to rebuild, right, there was was opposition, and there was a threat of violence. They actually said, if you do not stop, we will attack. And there's an interesting phrase that occurs here in Nehemiah chapter 4. And I want to use this and apply it to our own day. So, The leadership had gone out and surveyed the wall, saw everything, recognized the threat. And when they gathered everybody back together, this is this challenge that was made by the leader. It says, and after I made an inspection, I said, I stood up and I said to the nobles, to the officials, and all the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the opposition. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight, fight for your countrymen. Fight for your sons and your daughters. Fight for your wives and your homes. 
I believe we really live in a time when you and I need to fight for great families. I think you and I really need to fight and work at having a great relationship network around us that God wants to use. You know, I think family is, is, is under attack. And I don't want to be a pessimist and this and that and all that kind of thing. But, but there's just a lot of challenges that we face today as families, right? I mean, one of the simple issues is, is mobility, right? Family, nuclear family, having this network around us that passes on tradition and heritage and blessing is just challenged by mobility. You know, my, my father grew up in the southwest corner of Missouri. And by the time I came along in the early 1960s, he had a brother who was living in Seattle, one that lived in Louisiana, and some of the family was still spread out across Missouri. But, you know, my my paternal grandfather died when I was fairly young. I was only like 9, 10, 11 years old. But I don't think I had spent more than 30 days with my, my um, paternal grandfather when he passed away. My dad had moved to the East Coast with my mom to Massachusetts and uh, where she was from, and that's where, that's where I was born. And, and so family was just a long way away. And I only spent like 30 days with my grandfather. My grandmother lived a lot longer, but even with all of that, I don't think I spent more than 90 to 100 days with her. Christina and I, a couple times when we were living in Texas, were able to commute up there and spend some holiday season with that part of the family. But, but those were limited days. One of my uncles who lived in Louisiana, who, who grew tomatoes, right? <laughs> we had tomato fights when I was there. But we were only on his farm for four days. We, and we throw snowballs, right? You know, they throw tomatoes on their farm. They were throwing tomatoes at one another. But I only spent four or five days there. I, it's the only times I ever remember seeing my Uncle Walter. I mean, and so just the mobility challenges everything, right? And we have that. How many of you have a family member that lives more than 500 miles away? Almost all of us, right? I mean, it's just a great challenge, right? And if we're going to maintain family, we've we got to fight for it. Some of you have great childhood and high school and college friends who now live half a world apart. If you want to keep those people in your life as a blessing, you've got to fight for it, right? Another area is just, it's just busyness, right? It's just busyness. I mean, all of us, for the most part, have cell phones that we can, we, we can contact anybody at any time, unless you're in certain parts of Sterling where there's no signal. But besides that, you know, you can, you can, you can contact people at any time, right? And yet sometimes we will go weeks, if not months, if not years, without contacting people who are important to us, right? Because we're just busy. And then on top, I, I think there's the whole digital challenge too, right? We can be present in the same room and a million miles apart from people because we're all looking at our screens, you know? And so, like, oh, who's that? Oh, we're just looking at our screens. And, and, and so we, don't, we may be together, but we're really not together. And I think there's ways in which we really need to fight for good families. We need to fight to have this great relationship network around us because I believe that God intends to bless us with those, right? That's what, that's what God's intent has been. And so if you take anything away from today's message, walk away with this, that we need to fight for good families. We need to plan for it. We need to work at it. We need to strive after it. We need to try to do it. But let me give you four characteristics of the great families I think you ought to try to work for. This is not an exhaustive list, but these are things that I think are really important to us. And we're going to stay in the Old Testament here at the beginning. 
And I'd love for you to turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes. So if we were just before the book of Psalms, now we're going to be just after the book of Psalms, right? And so, you know, you, you go up, you go through Psalms, you come to Proverbs, and then you come to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, listen. The book of Ecclesiastes is depressing, all right? So, you know, if you're in a bad time in your life, it's not a great book to go read, right? When, when you're saying, so you know what, when, when you're in one of those moments where everything seems to be going perfect and the wind is in your sails, and et cetera, that's a great time to read the book of Ecclesiastes, right? But if you're struggling, it's like, you know what, put that off to the next time. Because there's, there's a lot of stuff in the book of Ecclesiastes where it talks about the futility and all those kinds of th- uh, things of life. But... Here's the first statement I want to make to you. When we think about the characteristics of great families that we need to fight for, right, and is that you and I need to fight for families that have fun together, that enjoy being together, that rejoice in being together. Some of you, the holidays are coming up, right? Thanksgiving's coming, and you're thinking, oh, man, not again. I got to go spend time with my family. <laughs> you know, and, and, and we need to fight for great families that are fun to be with. And is that in the Bible? Yeah, it is, actually. You know, just look at with me, if you will, at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. So this is page 564 in your pew Bible. 564. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Verse 15, so he's in the midst here in this text talking about, you know, you look at life and it's frustrating, it doesn't really seem fair, and it's depressing because, you know, you try to be really good and bad things happen, and and you try to be, if you don't care about who you are and you're just a bad person, then good things happen, and this and that, there's no rhyme or reason to it, etc., it's just, it seems all futile, right? Everything seems to be outside of our control, and so he said, here's my recommendation to you. I commend enjoyment. Verse 15. So I commended enjoyment. Because there's nothing better for man under the sun to except to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the years of his days that God has given him under the sun. So here's what, here's what Solomon is saying to us. As God inspires him, he says, listen, life is going to have lots of work to do in it. There's always going to be something to labor over. You're gonna, that's going to be a part of your journey. It's not going to go away. There's always going to be something to work at. He said, but you need to stop and take the time to have some fun, to celebrate to enjoy, right? You need to take some time to do it. That's a part of what we need to do. And, and, and as families, we need to take some time to just have fun together, to rejoice and to enjoy being together. Another pastor's of Scripture, just over in chapter 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Verse 8 of chapter 11. He says, you know what? For if a man should live many years, so if God gives you, for all the time that God gives you to live in this planet, let him rejoice. Let us rejoice in them all. We, we have time to remember the days of darkness, since there'll be many, 
And all that that comes with it is futile. But in the midst of all that, for the years that God has given you, make sure you take some time to rejoice, to celebrate, to have some fun, right? And, you know, listen, folks, this is something we need to do. You know, we, we, we need to take some time to have some fun, to enjoy the journey. And we as families, we need to take some time to enjoy the journey. When our kids were younger, right, we used to have something called MFF. And that stood for Mandatory Family Fun, right? And so MFF, because sometimes they say, all right, we're going to go do this. And they're like, I don't want to go, I just stay here. You, know, you guys ever hear that from your kids? You know, I don't want to have to go to his game, or, you know, I don't want that stupid, I don't want to go do that, or whatever. And it's like, you know what, it's MFF, get your butt in the car, you know, and we're going to go have some fun, you know, kind of idea. And, and, and there's certainly ways in which we, we need to adapt and try to do things that all of us enjoy, but sometimes we just need to say, you know what, some of you younger guys, you're what your parents want to do is stupid. You just need to go and have, make the most of it, right? You know, because we need to have fun together as families. You know, I can remember, my, uh, as I told you, my dad grew up in southwest Missouri. One of the reasons there's so much on my, um, the, the, some of that is on my, on my plate right now, is what I'm thinking about it so much is my, my dad's last living brother. Um, he has a sister that's alive as well, but my last living, uh, his last living uncle on my dad's side is... Um, He's very close to death, may, you know, may pass away by the end of the day. Uh, they actually expected him to go late last week, but he's kind of hanging on a little bit. And so, but they, they grew up in a farm in southwest Missouri. When he was 14 years of age, you know, he moved off the farm in 1947. They still didn't have running water, still didn't have electricity. You know, they, they, they would, it's one of these things, they get up in the morning and they would milk the cows and do the chickens and get all the eggs in, and then he would walk uphill to school, and then he would walk uphill to come home again. You know, that's the way he told the story. <laughs> Going to school and coming back, it was always uphill, both ways, right? That's just the way he did it. And, and, and they really didn't have anything. He said, you know, we, we were just happy to get a, a fresh apple or an orange for Christmas, right, you know? And he used to love to tell us that stories when there's tons of stuff underneath the tree and, you know, families coming in with more stuff. He said, well, I just get an orange, <laughs> You know, kind of, you know, but but for him, you know, he he would he would a lot of times he'd come home from work and then he'd just start working on the house, you know, especially when we were younger, you know, when we really couldn't do the tract and this and that and kind of because then he dumped all that stuff on us, you know. Uh, children are wonderful built-in servants to have at home, right? If you get them that way, you know, and and um, and so you know, and and, and but I, I can remember the times that I would I would appeal on him and he would. He would, he would give in, if you will, and play catch with me, which is priceless. You know, I mean, he, he didn't grow up playing baseball, all kind of sports, you know, so he kind of threw a little funny, like, from here, you know, and that kind of thing. But I can even remember with, you know, our youngest son, Ben, you know, when he was in, in high school, you know, and in a couple of games, he didn't hit very well. And he said, Dad, can we go by the batting cage and Sterling on the way home? And I'd pitch to him, whatever, you know. And, and then, you know, he was amazed that I could hit his curveball, right? He's like, you know, you're never going to hit this, Dad. I'm going to strike you out in three pitches. And then, you know, I kept hitting him. And those are great times, right? And, and you need to find some times to play together, to have fun together, to enjoy. You know, nobody's ever going to say, you know, you know, on their deathbed, you know, we know they're not going to say, I wish I had spent more time at the office. And nobody's going to say, I wish I had spent more time fixing the toilet instead of being with family, right? There's always going to be some things to do, but we need to make the time to fight for great families just by having some fun together. You know, I was recently out at 
Wheaton College for, for a, kind of a senior weekend for my nephew and, and, uh, who's, who's wrapping up his, his college football career. And at the chapel that they had for the team on Friday night, the president of the college spoke. And to tell you the truth, I don't remember what he said. You know, it's a Christian college. It was great stuff and all about Jesus and all that kind of good stuff. I don't remember any of it, right? My wife probably does. But this is what I do remember. You know, in the midst of his talk, he said, you know, one of our favorite family traditions as, uh, on Christmas, one of our favorite Christmas family traditions and he referred to some building on campus, like an administrative building. He says, we used to go over there a family on Christmas Day and play hide-and-seek using the whole building. And I'm thinking, that's cool. They actually have some fun together as a family, right? And we just need to be doing that stuff, right? And there's lots of different ways. But you and I, in order to have great families... We need to fight for families that enjoy being together, to have some fun together, right? You know, it's not a promise that I'm going to take up music because that would just drive my wife crazy for us to be able to do all this stuff together. But, but there's ways in which we need to find things that we can do together that we really enjoy, right? Did I make that clear enough? Should I say it like 10 more times? Because we, we just seem to be so busy all the time, and, and we, we, we never have – and sometimes you say, you know what? We're at this phase. Maybe some of you are in the same phase. You know, we have two adult kids. And for us to plan to have time together, it takes 6 to 12 months in advance. You know, if we want to go on a vacation together and say, you know what, let's, let's talk about 2020. But if we don't start planning, that's never going to happen, right? We need to fight for great families that enjoy being together and work to actually be together. Here's a second characteristic. We, we need to fight for families that really create great stimulus for positive growth. We, we, we need to work to create a network of family relationships, friendship relationships that are encouragement zones, places that build us up instead of tear us apart or drain us out. You know, we need to work at creating family places where there are great sources of a stimulation for growth. I mean, I don't think I have to convince any of us that family of origin stuff is important, right? We live in one of those times when we look back and we see so many things that are happening in people's lives and, and there's roots that can be chased back to family of origin stuff. Now, thanks by God's grace, those things can be broken and move forward and we can move out into a, a better future. But, but we see the importance of, of the climate that we're raised in. And, and we need to create in our families, in our households, in our core network of relationships, we need to create and live out a lifestyle that really promotes growth and encouragement and development. You know, Jesus, we looked at this earlier, right? So it should be fresh in your memory. On the last night of Jesus' life, literally just moments before he opened up and did the first Lord's Supper, Jesus got up from the table took off his outer garment, put on his work clothes, and one by one he went around and he washed the disciples' feet. Remember? And, and they were appalled because only slaves did that. And he was, he was the master, and he was doing what only a slave would be expected to do. And Jesus said, you know, I, sent you, I set you an example. And we need to set examples in our families that people should follow. And, and that example is going to flow out of just two major categories. And, and I know I'm simplifying, but this power, it's going to flow out of what we do, and it's going to flow out of what we say. 
the example that we set in our families, in these core networks, is going to flow out of what we say, and it's going to flow out of what we do. That's why Jesus said, you know what? You see what I just did? I want you to do the same thing. Go Do the same to one another, right? He said, I set you examples, so now do it. And Deuteronomy says, you know, I've just taught you. You've just gotten all these commandments. Now I want you to talk about these. I want you to teach these when you're walking with your kids and et cetera. I, I, want, these to be, I want you to communicate about them. I want you to talk about them. What, our example, what we pass on, the way we create this climate is through what we do and what we say. I don't have a lot of time to dwell here, but just think about some things. Some of you still are raising kids at home. They're, you know, we've got one little boy in our church who's celebrating the sixth birthday today, right? You know, big deal, you know, and he, and he didn't go like this. He went like this, you know, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. I'm turning, you know, but it is in that context, in these core networks, that we set the example of how we handle pain. It's in those contexts that you lay out how do you handle conflict with other people? How do you process disappointment? How do you handle success? I mean, there's no other place that they're getting except for those core relationships where you're up close and personal and you get to see that. And and those of us who are in those families... Inside of that network, sometimes it's in a nuclear family, mom and dad with the kids. Sometimes it's aunts and uncles who are around it. Sometimes it's best friends or whatever. But in that context of the people who are part of our everyday lives, the people that we process our experiences with, it is in that context that you and I, by example, show what we do with pain, loss, conflict, and et cetera. You know, Christina shared in our in our. Um, in a, in a session that we did as a part of our marriage conference yesterday, you know, she, she shared with, with the group what she communicated to our son as they did their son and, and mother dance as a part of his wedding reception, right? You know, and, and she wanted to practice up front, and he didn't want to have anything to do with it, so he was a lot like his dad. I set the example, so he just did the little sway thing, right? You know, you don't really want to move. And, and I've done some of your weddings, and you know I don't dance at those, because that's why, because... Uh, He's a sway, right? So while they're swaying, right, she's looking at him, and he, he can't go anywhere. And she's able to say to him, you watched how your dad loved me. And if you love your wife the way your dad loved me, you're going to be fine. And that's the kind of environments that we need to fight for in our families. And not just with our kids, and with, but with our families. Friend, with our friends and with our aunts and uncles and cousins and et cetera. We need to fight for those things. It's, that's what we do, right? And that's, those are the kinds of families. And, and so, many, so many people, unfortunately, today are walking out of those networks and saying, I, I want to forget all that stuff because it was just too hard. And we need to fight for places to say, I don't want to say, I want to take it with me because it was so good. <laughs> Anyways, all right. We get that one? All right. I'll, I'll chill out just a little bit for the last couple points. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Just a couple of ones back, right? We, we need to fight for families who are there who support one another, who, who have each other's backs, that serve one another, that take care of one another, right? That, that, we, we, we need to do that with our families. We need to with our friendships. We need to be people who are there who help out. So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 
If this is a passage of scripture that you're not familiar with, this is a great one to make a note of and, and become familiar with because it talks about the value of being in good relationships. It says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 4 beginning with verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion will lift him up. But pity the fool, I mean pity the one, who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. That is why your wife squishes over to your side of the bed and pushes you out because they're trying to stay warm at night, right? I'm sure, different story. Anyway. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if somebody overpowers one person, two can resist him. You hear the counsel of never walk alone? You know, ne- never, never walk alone when you're out. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. You know, we need to model and fight for the kinds of families, for the kinds of relationships where we're there for one another where we pick people up when they fall down, where we have their back when they need support, and those kinds of things. I, 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 I told the first service, you know, you know I, I look back over my recent history, and, you know, as my parents aged, they got sicker and reached a point where they understood they really couldn't live in, the, in Florida where they were by themselves. And so trying to process, they really want to move back up here where it got cold, right? So what they chose to do was move a half mile from my youngest sister in Tampa. You know, so now all of a sudden, all of their stuff got dumped on her, right? You know, and, and you know, the doctor's appointments and the pills and this and that and putting up the Christmas tree and taking it down and all that stuff just got dumped on my sister because they were half a mile apart. They were inside the same gated community, you know, so, so they were very close. And and, and I got to tell you, from this side of the perspective, I, I'm just so grateful that my brother-in-law, who's from Denmark, and his dad was living in Denmark, he just, he just was a part of the family and a part of the team. And he took his, did his, when my sister was traveling for work, he was there to help them out. My niece and my nephew, who were in high school, they stopped by on a regular basis to check on them, to help them out, to serve them. I and my brother and my other sister, we did every six to eight weeks, we tried to cycle through for four to five days just so they could have a break (laughs) from all the stuff, right? And then my sister, when she had furlough from being a missionary, she went and stayed with them for three months. I mean, it was a team effort. That's what it's supposed to be like, right? And we need to fight for those kinds of things when we're there for one another. Those are the kinds of families we need to fight for. That's what we need to be modeling to everybody else. All right, one last point, and then we'll get into the Lord's Supper experience today. We not only need to fight for families that really have fun together, we don't need to fight, we need to fight for families that really are places where we are encouraged to grow and become better people, where we are enriched. We also need to fight for families, for relationships that support one another, and then we need to really seek to be a part of families that seek to serve God together to see serve God together. Uh, you know, I, uh, the, the, the passage of Scripture I'm going to hold up to you is more of an example than it is an exhortation. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's page 981. I got to tell you what. If our world 
if the church, if Hope Chapel was full of people like the household of Stephanus, we'd be fine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15, as Paul is given some final kind of exhortations and acknowledgments, he says, brother says, as you know of the whole household of Stephanus, there we go, Stephanus, right? They are the first fruits of Archaea. In other words, these are some of the first believers in Greece. And they have devoted themselves, the household has devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit, to be like such people who are devoted to serving the saints. It's so interesting that we're very much now, we're wondering how the church is going to serve us, not so much about how we're going to serve the saints. And we need, and I urge you to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. You know, somehow or another today, we, 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 we've embraced, I mean, just had this conversation in recent weeks with a family, like, you know, we, we, we love coming to church. We always get a lot out of it. It's, it's really thing. But right now, our, our kids just have so many great things that they can be a part of. We don't have time for church. So, so you get there, so, okay, sports, music, dance, and somewhere down here is God. God, God's not good enough or great enough to make the top 10. And so we'll, uh, you know, we'll see you next year when all this stuff is over. And, and we need to have family. We need to fight for families to say, God, service of God, worship of God, growing God is important. I mean, you wouldn't expect me to say anything less, right? Because I'm standing up here. But, but I got to tell you, it's important. It's stuff that we need to prioritize. It made our kids mad when we said, you know what? You're not doing Pop Warner because they play on Sundays. You know, there's lots of other things you can do, but you're not doing Pop Warner because we play on Sundays and we go to church together. There's times when we say, you know what? We're not going to be out every single night of the week because of all the activities you, you do. We need to have some family time. So that's it. You know, pick, pick one thing. Right? Is, is it sports? Is it Boy Scouts or whatever? Just pick something. But we're not doing all of it. There's ways in which we need to set boundaries so we can prioritize serving the saints together. Great families are really worth it. I realize some of you are sitting here today saying, you know, my, my family's in shambles. You know, I, I don't really have any kind of relationships around me that are, that are the kind of places where I have fun, where I, where I feel like I can lean on them and they're going to be there for me. So, some of you are just looking and saying, you know, I, it's just all in a shambles. Either I've broken it or somebody else has broken or whatever. I, I, I want to challenge you. It's worth fighting for. And if there's anything that, we're, that God is seeking to communicate to us, as we take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, remember what God has done for us is that there is always hope. There is always hope. So you, you may need to exercise forgiveness. Do it. You may need to ask for forgiveness. Do it. You, you, you may need to back up and say, you know what, I've been wrong. I, I'm going to change. But you, fighting for good families, for relationships that minimize the mess and maximize the blessing is worth it, and there is hope. Let's pray together, and then we'll absorb the, observe the Lord's Supper. God, you've created us to be a part of a family. You've done that not just biologically, but you've done that spiritually. As you adopt us into your family in Jesus Christ, we become your children. 
and we become brothers and sisters in Christ. God, grant us hope for great families. Biologically, relationally with friends, with the saints. Let them be places where we truly enjoy people. Let them be places that inspire us to be better people as we inspire them. God, let us be there for one another, to bear one another's burdens and therefore model and fulfill the life of Christ. God, let us to be like Stephanus' household. Models of serving the saints. God, give us hope as we fight for great relationships. And we know that it starts through having a relationship with you. And we're grateful for the reminder that's in front of us of the Lord's Supper. That the way that you, what it cost you to create an eternal relationship with us was the death of your son. But now there's hope. There's hope. And we embrace that hope in the name of Jesus. Amen.